0: Well, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and we are just starting chapter 2 as we work our way through this inspired letter during these summer months. So 2 Timothy 2, and I want to read for us verses 1 to 13, so pretty much exactly the first half of, of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Did I say 1 Timothy? 2 Timothy chapter 2. Again, if you're using those uh, Bibles that Andrew, Pastor Andrew referred to a little earlier, it's on page 995. Hear the word of the Lord as I read. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, As preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is far the reading of God's holy word. Praise be to God. Take courage. The word of God is not bound. As we look around at our world, as we survey the news, as we feel the winds of culture, the spirit of our age, as we observe the decline in morals, as we notice increasing tensions in race issues, issues related to religion, we could have a tendency to sort of want to shrink back, to, to maybe even go into full-scale retreat or to just distance ourselves from those kinds of things that we hear, that we see that are going on, and just sort of tune them out. And in some respects, that's, that's not a bad strategy. After all, none of those things really affect us, at least in our day-to-day lives, it seems. They're all just trends and interesting stories, sometimes even made extra fascinating by the media. And if we want, here, especially in small-town Alberta, we can just sort of insulate ourselves from all of that stuff and go on with our lives. In fact, we can just take in as much as we'd like and then sort of turn off the TV or or make sure it doesn't land on us in any way. Just sort of tune it out. But these volatile days that we find ourselves in, where the winds of change are blowing, are maybe not as distant as we think or maybe as we'd like to think. We meet up with these... Changes that are going on, not just in our newspapers, but in our schools, in our workplaces, in our circles of friends and acquaintances. Maybe even right in our families, where we might have to engage in conversations about what's right and what's wrong. Or where we see our families maybe even adopting the spirit of the age. Not just in the way they think, but even in their actions, in the the choices that they make. If you've been brought up where your default position was a, let's call it a Judeo-Christian worldview with more of a conservative mindset, well, if you haven't yet, you'll be confronted with a different set of values and beliefs on what is right and what is wrong. And if that can affect our physical families, there's no doubt that can seep its way into our Christian communities too, that, that community of faith that we call the church. As a church... We have a defined set of values, we have a set of beliefs, we have those spelled out in certain documents and confessions, but our values can be boiled down into one word and that is the gospel. The gospel, we know it as the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ, it's what saved us, it's what brought us into the church in the the first place, but the gospel is a general sort of term as well for, for that which we keep believing it's our core set of beliefs going forward. But it's also that gospel that will continually come under attack. Not only from the outside, but also from even inside the church. The ch- and when I'm saying the church, the church at large. That's true now, but it was true already in those few years after Jesus died. You, you would think it would have lasted Jesus was on this earth, walking on this earth, you, you would think that, that that sense of morality that he taught, those things that he taught, would, would last for a little longer. But it didn't take long before the gospel came under attack. Not long after the gospel started to spread through the Roman Empire and as churches started to form in those places, the gospel, the beliefs, the values that embody the Christian faith started to come under attack. And we'll see some of those attacks as we make our way through 2 Timothy. Well, the one person that was most responsible for spreading the gospel throughout the cities and the regions of the Roman Empire was the Apostle Paul. He was appointed and he was sent. That's what the word apostle means, a sent one. He was appointed and sent by God, especially to non-Jews the Gentiles, to tell them about Jesus in that region. And even though we, uh, or or Paul, was hugely successful in doing that, it was definitely not a, a glorious ministry that he had where everything went smooth. In fact, it was hardly ever smooth. The fact that many people were coming to believe in Jesus also served to stir things up to the point that Paul also suffered much. He constantly had to defend the faith, and that often landed him in prison. And sometimes before he went into prison, he had to undergo all sorts of physical abuse. Well, by the time he wrote this letter called 2 Timothy, we find him in prison again. He's now in the city of Rome, and this time, he'd been in prison many times, but this time, he knows he's not getting out. He knows he's done what God had sent him to do, but he also knows that, that the gospel effort that he had begun needs to keep on going. And he has identified this guy named Timothy as the one that would carry on where Paul had left off. Timothy had been one of the guys converted in Paul's travels. And Paul had trained him as a leader, probably his foremost leader, the one who he had most confidence in to carry the gospel forward. But he had left him, while he was in Rome, he had left him in the city of Ephesus. And Ephesus was a very, very tough city. It was a worldly city. Maybe an an ancient version of, let's say, Las Vegas or New York City, something like that. And therefore it was a place where the church that had been planted there would come under all sorts of these worldly influences. And so Timothy, by the time he would have received this letter, by the time it would have landed in his ancient-day mailbox, he would have likely have been weighed down with the task, likely somewhat discouraged. And so Paul writes this letter to prepare Timothy. He wants to, in many senses, just toughen him up. He wants to tell him what he can expect, and he wants to make sure that Timothy knows that the gospel itself is at stake. Timothy will need courage to guard the gospel. His life and his ministry would not look a whole lot different from Paul's. And so Paul sort of assumes the position of a spiritual father here, who prepares his son for what's going to come, for what he's going to face. And he does it in the form of this very personal letter. And in the providence of God, this letter became a letter that also bears the signature not only of Paul, but of God himself. And it comes down to us. It's been preserved for us. It's a letter from our Heavenly Father to his children in the faith, encouraging them, encouraging us to continue in the gospel. And so it's going to fortify us as we read it, and as we abide by it. So we can find courage in this letter. Encouragement to guard the gospel in our day. We're going to find out where we can find courage, how we can find courage, and why we can be encouraged throughout even these 13 verses. So let's take a look at the book. Back in chapter 1. If you just flip back to, I have to flip back, it might be on your page. In verse 14 of chapter 1, you see the charge there to Timothy. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. The deposit is talking about the gospel, which he had already referred to back in verse 8 and in verse 11, 10 and 11, the end of, end, of, end of verse 10 and the beginning of verse 11. It's also called, in various places, the testimony, back in verse 8. Also called sound words. Follow the pattern of sound words there in verse 13. And right at the end of chapter 1, Paul had talked about two of his colleagues that had, his colleagues in the gospel work that had already abandoned him. Two guys named, um, now what's their name again? Pastor Andrew might have to help me here. Phygelus. And let me see if I can find his name here quickly. Hermogenes, Phygelus and Hermogenes. Mr. Andrew talked last week about how, it, how we should be grateful that the Lord's best messengers had easy names, like Paul and James and Peter. And so we're, we're thankful for that. But he holds up another guy named Onesiphorus as someone who stuck with him. So two colleagues had abandoned him, and one had stuck with him, someone who is not ashamed of being associated with Paul, one who did not abandon Paul when he was in prison. And so Paul uses the example of Onesiphorus to encourage Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel, sort of as a way to motivate and to challenge Timothy to do the same thing. And so verse 1 of the next chapter, You then, so he's connecting it to what he just, he's just said, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus there's the first call to courage to be strong through divine grace and timothy we kind of learn by implication was was weak by nature he he likely didn't have the naturally strong personality that tom or that paul tom that paul might have had look at verse 7 of chapter 1 for god gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and of love and self-control. And so the implication could be that, that Timothy was one who had a spirit of fear. And so this would have been an encouraging word from Paul. He makes his fatherly appeal here. He calls him my child. And then he reminds Timothy that he didn't have to muster up strength. wasn't calling him here to pull up your bootstraps and get with it. Notice he says, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. There's no doubt the road that Timothy is on is not an easy road. There's no doubt the Christian life is not Easy Street. The road is going to be filled with obstacles. It's going to be filled with potholes and, and barricades and, and maybe even some landmines. God never promised that this life would, e- would be easy. In fact, he promised that in the Christian life, you will have tribulation. You would have trials. And this will be especially true if we try to live out our faith. But brother and sister Christian, he always promises grace. He always promises grace. And not just saving grace, but sustaining grace. His grace saves you, yes, but his grace is what it is that also keeps you. It's his grace that keeps you in the faith. It strengthens you. Grace is God's we sometimes define it as God's undeserved favor. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve, while, while mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. So this grace is God's undeserved favor. Even though you're, you're weak, even though you fail, even though you fall into sin, you can know that because you are united to Christ. It says here you're in Christ. You will be strengthened by grace. You can always count on that. Paul knew that grace in his life, So he's speaking from experience here. Over in 1 Corinthians, he says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. In 1 Corinthians 15. And I think I pointed this example over in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 last time where Paul was struggling with his thorn in the flesh, whatever that was. We're not told exactly what that was, but he was pleading there for God to take it away. Three times, he says, I I pleaded with God to, to remove it. And Jesus comes... And speaks right to him and says, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power or my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul would not have forgotten that. And so when he wants to encourage Timothy, he says, Be strong. And remember, Timothy, where your strength will come from. It will come from God's grace, God's overly more than sufficient grace you feel weak, if there are times when you feel powerless to to keep going, you're in a good place to receive the grace of God. Desperate times are good times to call out to the Lord, to shower you with His grace. Let that give you courage to walk the road that God has for you. Once you know that, once you realize that grace keeps on coming, you can accomplish great Things for the gospel. No matter what your circumstances are. And that's exactly what we read next. Verse 2, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. That, that's the gospel again. Another way of talking about the gospel, what you have heard from me. This gospel that Paul had taught Timothy. He says, entrust that to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Paul is really stressing the importance to Timothy here of the transmission of truth, the the transference of the truth from generation to generation. And and doing that requires courage. But now that he had already told Timothy to be strong in the grace of Christ, he could be tasked now with the job of passing it on, with, with handing it off. And that's exactly what Paul is doing right here. He's handing the mantle off to Timothy. And he's encouraging Timothy to do that same thing, to find faithful, trustworthy, uh, qualified people that he can entrust with the truth so that they can then teach others. So you see here, there's actually four generations involved, right? Generation to generation to generation to generation. Paul to Timothy, Timothy to faithful men, and faithful men teaching others. So if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you In this task. You can do this and you need to do this. The gospel, in many ways, God has actually ordained that the gospel depends on this. Paul is a spiritual father, handing down the gospel to his spiritual son. That's all this is, passing down a legacy, but passing on the grandest legacy of all, which is the gospel to the next generation. And so if the gospel has landed on you, then you are called here to plant that gospel in someone else. And then encourage those people to whom you plant the gospel in to to do the same thing. You can do this individually. You know, if you're older, it's not too late to do this. Don't ever think that it is. It was it wasn't too late for Paul. He was at the end of his life here. So if there's any lesson we can learn from this, even as you know you're going to pass on pretty soon, you can still invest in people. Paul invested in Timothy as he had already received a death sentence in prison. And he did it by writing this letter from that hole in the ground that he was in there in the city of Rome's underground dungeon. If there's someone who's younger in the faith, to whom can you entrust the faith that was handed to you? And this goes for anyone, older or younger. You're called to be diligent in this. Like I said at the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always under threat, constantly, but in his wisdom, God has designed that there would be an unbreakable chain that started with Jesus, that moved on to the, the, the 12 apostles plus, plus Paul who would then pass it on to faithful people who would then teach others. And do you realize that that chain, all those links in the chain, eventually landed on you? It might be interesting for you at some point to trace back the links of that chain. If you're part of a Christian family, ask your parents how they came to faith. If you became a Christian some other way, just think about how God worked it out so that you would hear the gospel. It might be through a co-worker. It might have been a book that you just picked up or someone handed you. It might have been something you heard on the radio. You might have attended a funeral in a church. Whatever it is. Maybe someone gave you a Bible. And you just started reading it. But don't just make this a matter of interest, a matter of searching back through a genealogy, realize that God is entrusting you now with the responsibility to keep it going on the other end. Don't be the one that breaks the chain. I think this letter might have arrived, like I said, in Timothy's hand at a time when he was tempted to give up. The problems over in the church at Ephesus might have been weighing him down and so Timothy would have needed this word of encouragement. Maybe you do too. You can do this in the strengthening grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not something you can do on your own, in your own strength, but as God gives strength, this is something that you can and should do, passing on the gospel. And like I said, this is not just for people. This is one of the roles of the church too. We could, even in our church, look back into the What is it now, 89-year history of our church and see how the gospel has gone from one generation to the next? Faithful men and women have passed it on, invested in the next generation, and we need to hear this call to keep it going, to, to keep handing down the gospel. Yes, we have to do that in our families. We have to do that in our church family. And like I said, the urgency is great in our day. We need to guard the gospel and the God-designed means of doing that is to ensure that it's handed down and trusting it to faithful men and women who can teach others. And Paul reminds Timothy again that this is not an easy calling but it is a rewarding calling, an immensely rewarding calling. He says suffering is a reality but rather than discouraging us, it should encourage us. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ it says that there in verse 3 yes paul saying that we can actually embrace suffering because we are in the service of Christ Jesus who also suffered that's why and timothy would follow in the footsteps of paul who who had been suffering and who was now suffering in prison And now he's saying, Timothy, share in suffering. It's the same thing that he'd said back in chapter 1, verse 8. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us. There is much courage to be gained by knowing we serve Jesus Christ, the one who suffered on our behalf. He is our Lord. He's our master. And we are now enlisted in his army as good soldiers of Christ Jesus. Paul helps Timothy embrace suffering by expanding on the picture of a soldier here and and adding a couple of other pictures, an athlete and a farmer as well. And so let's start with the soldier. The soldier is a picture here that that Paul paints of a single-minded devotion and a loyalty to Christ. Verse 4, he does not get entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. You know, the the soldiering life, the military life is, is they take people and basically remove them from civilization to a large degree. They get taken away from pursuits of civilian life and as that soldier gets taken away from friends and family, they actually get freed from the distractions of the world, right? Which frees them then to be devoted to putting it in the Christian realm now, to Christ as their Lord, the one who enlisted them. It's a single-minded devotion. An athlete is also called here to endure suffering. and It talks about competing according to the rules. You just need to know that in the Roman games, there was the the Greeks that had the Olympics, and the Romans had their games as well. An athlete had to prove that they had been training. They had to be able to prove that in front of the god Zeus, that they had been in training for 10 months, at least 10 months, before they were allowed to compete. That was the rule. And so they would have had to train hard. And that's what training is. Training is hard. It takes sweat. It takes determination. It takes a lot of endurance. That's what Paul, that's what Timothy should expect, Paul says. If a soldier requires single-minded devotion, an athlete requires single-minded discipline. You can add another D there. Single-minded dedication. And last but not least, and I say not least, knowing the context in which I speak here, there is the farmer. We have Farmers here who have a single-minded diligence. It's the hard-working farmer. Again, it's a picture of effort and determination. A farmer gets up early and goes to bed late. They don't punch a clock in or out. They have to deal with um, unpredictable, many times unexpected elements. There are regular disappointments. Again, it's another picture of the Christian life. But did you notice that in all these illustrations, there is reward. The diligent farmer ought to get the first share of the crops. The disciplined athlete gets a crown. And best of all, the devoted soldier, his reward is that he pleases the one who enlisted him. It is the Lord's pleasure that we ultimately want, is it not? And therefore, we should be eager and be able to embrace suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And Paul ends that section by saying in verse 7 there, think over what I say. Let all of this sort of circulate in our mind, ruminate in our mind. Let it ruminate in your mind, Timothy. And when you do, you're going to understand that this is worth it. Is it hard? Absolutely. Will people disappoint you like Phygelus and Hermogenes? Yes, Keep your mind focused on the anesophorises of the world. Keep investing in people. Keep being strengthened by grace. Share in suffering. Keep going. Why? Because this is the way that God would have the gospel of Jesus Christ advance. Move forward, again, using that military metaphor. That it would advance forward in a day when you feel like you want to retreat and you might just want to sock yourself in. When you feel like just insulating yourself, think these things over. And it says the Lord will give you understanding in everything. He will make things clear. He will make you see why you need to endure. Your suffering will be minimized and the glory of the Lord will be maximized. You'll see why it is that you're doing what you're doing and you will want to even embrace suffering for the cause of the gospel. Take courage. Which brings Paul to just encourage Timothy 2 verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember who he is. Remember what he did. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. When you maybe want to shrink back and at this call from God to take courage and to do some hard things for the gospel, let your mind wander to Jesus Christ. He is God. He is the one who is risen from the dead and is alive today and is interceding for you from heaven. And he is man. He is the offspring of David. He is the promised Messiah. And being both God and man, he was able to bear suffering for your sins. And now... As it says in Hebrews 4.15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. He is one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. One writer says of that verse, "When when your tank is empty, remember that the tomb is empty. When your tank is empty, remember that the tomb is empty and that the throne is occupied. Jesus is alive. He is on his throne. He is not dead. And he is helping you. And we just need to look to him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Remember Jesus Christ who suffered. And then Paul, notice, also directs Timothy to his own situation. He says this gospel, this gospel of Jesus Christ, calls it here my gospel, is also why I am suffering. It's also why I'm here in this prison, in this dungeon right now. He says, notice he's bound with chains as a criminal. You know, all Paul has done in his whole life is preach the gospel. He's, he, he's followed the Lord's call. He's taken the gospel everywhere he's gone. And all he's done is present people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And yet, he's being treated as a common criminal. He's receiving the same punishment that a murderer would, re- would receive, that a thief would receive. He's being tortured there in this prison being treated as a common criminal. He's receiving that same punishment. He's bound with chains as a criminal. And that leads him to say this one amazing line that when I was studying this week, just kept on jumping right off the page as I read it. I'm suffering bound with chains as a criminal, but the Word of God is not bound. The Word of God is never bound. Brothers and sisters, this is our greatest motivation towards towards courage and towards faithfulness. Here is why this guarding the gospel and living out the gospel is eminently worth every struggle, every trial, every hardship, every single ounce of suffering. It is because the word of God is not bound. It is unstoppable. Prison can't chain, chain it down. Paul's death is not going to chain it down. The winds of our culture are not going to chain it down. The circumstances of your life are not going to chain it down. No scheme of man can restrict the word of God. Know this. The word of God is unfettered. It is unchanged. It is not bound. That should give all of us great courage courage to keep going, courage to hand it down to others, courage to share in suffering for it. You know, we could all get discouraged over a lot of things. Paul could have gotten discouraged over being treated as a criminal, sitting there in that dungeon, seemingly unable to do what he had been called to do and what he had been doing for his whole life prior to this. And, and you could make all your own list of discouragements too. And As I thought about it in my own life, I thought, boy, that list gets full pretty quick. It wouldn't take long to fill up a sheet of paper. I know that because that's what I did this week. It doesn't take long because reasons for discouragement come quickly. They're, they're right at the forefront of our mind. We, we have to say, though, that we too often live there. Discouragement can take over our lives and it can debilitate us. And it, and it can, can render us useless, in a sense, for the gospel. I can be discouraged by politics in the news. I'm, I'm discouraged by an ever-increasing hostility toward Christian values and even the most basic of things, like the value of human life and the, and the simple Seemingly simple and basic instructions were given on human sexuality. When I look at the church at large, I can get discouraged over how even the church seems to be getting sidetracked from the gospel by issues like race and gender. I can get discouraged by how, by how worldly pursuits and, and, and biblical illiteracy and low-level commitments and apathy and the distractions of technology affect the church And even worse than all this, I can get discouraged by those things and many more in myself. I get discouraged by my own sin and my own lack of devotion, my own lack of commitment to the cause of the gospel. But... When I'm reminded of all these things here in 2 Timothy 2, when we're all reminded of these things, and chiefly when we're reminded that the Word of God is not bound by any of those things that can cause us discouragement, we can move then from being discouraged, having our courage stripped away from us, to being encouraged, to having courage infused into us. Look at what knowing the Word of God is not bound did for Paul, it made him keep going. The word of God is not bound, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also might obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Knowing the word of God is not bound helped him endure everything so that God's people might be saved. He knew he had been called for that purpose, and that purpose would be met. God would meet that purpose through whatever circumstances. And then secondly, notice it made him sing. He, he actually bursts into song, a song reminding him exactly of who Jesus is. Back in verse 8, he had told Timothy to remember Jesus Christ, and now Paul does exactly that. That's actually what verses 11 to 13 are. They're a well-known hymn. They might be sort of inset in your Bible, I hope they are, but it's, it, it's likely that it's a well-known hymn from those days, a hymn that's full of truth about Jesus. If we have died with him, we'll also live with him. Sounds poetic, doesn't it? It's a song. If we endure, he will also reign, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he'll also deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now we sometimes words just come to our mind from hymns, right? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was. Lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, and now I see, but now I see. Those songs just sort of come. Those words come. All through the ages, people have been brought from discouragement to encouragement by remembering words of a song. That's what Paul did here. Now, there's lots of truth in, these wor- in the words of that song that we should probably look at. Maybe we'll pick that up as sort of a bridge next week. But, but Paul is just encouraging here a young, timid, likely reluctant Likely discouraged Timothy with all of these things. Be strengthened. What you heard and trust to others. Share in suffering. Think these things over. Remember Jesus Christ. If you're weak and in need of courage to stay true to your faith, amidst persecution, amidst ridicule, amidst time of maybe illness or sickness, Stay true to your faith. Stay true to the gospel. I hope these reminders have done that for you. Take courage. Be strengthened in the grace of Christ Jesus for you can be assured that the word of God is not bound. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for this great encouragement from your word this morning, And we admit, Father, that we are often in need of encouragement. When we get discouraged, we are grateful that the Word of God is not bound. When we suffer, we are grateful that the Word of God is not bound. When we are weak and heavy laden, we are grateful that the Word of God is not bound. When we are beset and upset with our sin we are grateful that the Word of God is not bound. Even when we struggle to share the gospel, we are grateful that the Word of God is not bound. When we seem to be disabled and when we fret over the circumstances of our lives, once again, Father, we are grateful that the Word of God is not bound. Yet, our Father, this great fact does not diminish or does not excuse us from stepping out in faith and from doing gospel work how God designed it. He sent us out to do that work. And so our prayer is that this would propel us forward into action. That we would be conduits of this word of God that is not bound. That the grace of our Lord would strengthen us to be bold and courageous. To be diligent, to pass on our faith. To endure suffering for the sake of the gospel. Help us always, we pray. As we effort to do that, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.